Hey Suresh, it's a bit nippy out here today, isn't it? It's great to actually get some fresh air. I know, I know, I know, but I think it's going to snow. So what are we going to do? I, I fancy some uh, some fun. What, what, what haven't I ever done before? Come on, you're always good at making new surprises for me. I think you should... Uh, have you ever been to a public place, you know, where like what? commoners go? Toilets? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that, darling. Please, what do you mean? Come on. Come on. A public library? Have you been to a public library? Have I ever been? I might have done when I was a child. I think I may have been taken into one by my school, but I can't remember it. Where where, where would we find a public Let's library? Just down here. Okay, okay. Is this one? Is this, it says public library over the door. Does that... I haven't got my glasses on. I'm going on your judgment. Is it, is it a library? It, it looks like it. Let's, let's go in and have a look around. Oh, look. Look, who's that? Shh. Uh, it, it must be a librarian. They're going shush. That looks like Diane. Diane, is that you? Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to FinTech Unplugged with Robert and Suresh. <laughs> and I'm wondering whether our listeners actually can remember the voice, a very familiar voice. Uh, so, I am Diane Brocklebank and I'm the commercial director of PIF. PIF is the prepaid international forum and we are the industry body representing the prepaid sector. Wow. And how long have you been part of PIF? So PIF is nearly 13 years old. So it's a teenager. And I've been involved since the very beginning, back in 2006. Wow. Wow. As was I, obviously, in those whale days, Diane. We were both children then. We were both children. Toddlers. Toddlers in, a, in, a, in an adult world. Trying toddling, to... toddling through the prepaid landscape. Suresh wasn't even born in payments in those <laughs> days. Can you imagine? He was just an—he was just a figment of his mum's imagination in payments. Oh, so, so I have some questions. Okay, why was Piff formed? What's it all about? Give us some background. Is it like <clears throat> a club? Is it you know what's it all about? How do I? Why would I want to be a member of Piff? So Piff was really formed because back in two thousand and six, back in the olden days. There was very little knowledge about prepaid, and there still is. <laughs> and there still is That's a lot of misknowledge. So, <clears throat> so back in the olden days, there was a lot of uncertainty around the legal framework for prepaid. Nobody was quite sure how you could actually make a profit, and I think profitability still evades many people today. But then it was a lot grayer, a lot vaguer. So there was a real need for the industry to come together and shape uh, the future to make sure that prepaid could take off and fulfill its potential, but equally to prevent what we would call some of the cowboy operators from coming into the market and giving it a bad name. Would it, would it be fair to say that prepaid was the Bitcoin of its day? Yes, I, I, I would agree with you. The but wild, has, wild west. But it has matured now into something it's, much more mainstream. Yeah, it's, it's matured hugely. And it's, it's not just about the, the standalone proposition anymore. It's, it's really how prepaid can empower so many new different products and services that solve a multitude of needs. Now, now I remember in the early days seeing lots of, you know, <laughs> forecasts for the growth of prepaid. We, we would see it every, you know, every time prepaid is destined to take over the universe and we all kind of towed the party line, but the growth has been spectacular. Mm. Did you really see that it would kind of explode in the way that it did? Back then you it was... You could have your own <clears throat> opinion yeah. and then the PIF opinion. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think I, I share sort of Piff's, Piff's opinion. And I think, I think then one of the reasons that we did set up Piff is because we could see its potential. It has exceeded our expectations in terms of how the market has grown. But we always were, were fairly confident that, that prepaid had legs. So, Robert, are you going to do what you normally do? I think it's about time we, we had our first head into that bin. Let me rummage around a bit. Piff has just announced that its new chairman will be Paul Swinton, CEO of B4B Payments. What made the board choose Paul and will this change the direction of Piff? Well, it was a no-brainer for the board. Paul has many, many years of experience operating in the prepaid space, so he can really bring that experience to bear on everything we do. He has a very deep understanding of the value chain, which will stand everything we do in very, very good stead. Will it change the direction of PIF? Absolutely not, but it will help us to to focus on on what needs to be done and not get distracted by the, the, the wider, sprawling, emerging industry that's emerged around us. And he's got big boots to follow in Craig James. <clears throat> he's got very big boots to follow. <laughs> Craig was there uh, four years, I believe. He, yeah, Craig uh, had two consecutive terms. No, Craig um, has really built such a solid uh, set of or foundations for PIF, for for. Paul to take forward. So Piff is in a very good place and Paul is the perfect person to take us onwards and upwards. Is there any any specific things that you think Paul will, are there any particular sort of things that Piff are doing at the moment that Paul will be able to invigorate and move forward at a Absolutely. I think I think around the guidance and support we give our members, so giving a lot more practical guidance, particularly around the new rules and regulations. So help our members make sense of, of all of the, the different rules and regulations that have come down from down so the line. You're talking about PSD2, PSD2, PPP stuff and SCA, open banking, yeah, yeah. everything. All the stuff that's going on. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, will Paul be able to do presentations in the same style as Craig? Because one of my highlights is actually when Craig talks in the US and he does this cold face you know, pushing boundaries with the Americans and their he's reaction. He's the Jack D of payments, isn't he? Yeah, and the Americans <laughs> don't get it. No, so actually, they're like, so oh my God, this guy, what is he saying? You know, is, uh, is Paul going to be able to follow that? <laughs> well, I, does he need to follow it? Um, I, I think it was, it was a very unique style and I, and I think there's, there's room for many different styles. I think Paul will do a fabulous job. I'm sure the Americans will love him. And the Americans will absolutely <laughs> love him. He's, uh, yeah, he's probably more, um, less Marmite than James, Craig James. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me, let me let's you, see what we've got. You dive in. Um. Ah, journalist one. Daily Mail journalists are a bunch of I don't know whether you can say on the live podcast. <laughs> it's what's wrote here. It's what's, yeah, but is that... Are we allowed to read just the questions that the public okay. send us? The Daily Mail journalists are a bunch of No, that's probably not allowed either. Any other any thoughts, Dan, on how we can make that? You're you're very good at polite phrases. Could you could you rephrase that in a way that we could perhaps get away with without the any more bleeps? Daily Mail journalists have a very unique brand of thought leadership. 
That is wow. very diplomatic. I okay. think you could be either a you lawyer or a, a politician. <laughs> <laughs> or a librarian. Or a librarian. Shh. <laughs> Have the Daily Mail caused piffs and problems? Is that where this reader well, is coming from? you know, they, they, they haven't uh, caused problems per se. I, you know, whether it's the Daily Mail or the Daily Mirror or the Sunday Times, any bad press, any kind of spurious claims is a real opportunity for us to set the record straight so yeah it's it's irritating has there been any any i mean i don't i'm not aware of anything that the daily mail have wrote specifically but has there been any memorable articles that you recall there have been many memorable articles what's the most memorable the most memorable is quite recently in fact where one of the journalists applied for a a well-known brand that we all know and was aghast that she could open an account just by giving her name address and date of birth and that was uh, terrible, and she could quite easily go off and launder millions of pounds. So she ordered the card in the correct way. Yes. And she did everything in the way that you would expect someone to do. Yes. And then she complained about the it being it, too easy. Being too easy. Yeah, we don't want this frictionless payment. Absolutely. How, how awful is that? Making it easy to get accounts. Although I do remember also another memorable journalist article where a journalist took out a ordered a child card. Yeah. And what they did was they actually then used that in a supermarket. Yeah. Now, as we know, with children's cards, they do a lot of blocking on MCC. Mm. So you can't use it at a, you know... Um, Adult establishment. That yeah, you but, you know, like a, an off-license, you know, a yeah. bar, all of those places. But in a supermarket, the MCC code is basically a supermarket. Yeah. So they basically were able to buy some alcohol. And knives. And they said... I seem to remember. I remember this story. And they were like, oh my God, I was able to buy this with the, with, with the card. And I was thinking, but you weren't a child because if you were a child buying that at the supermarket, they wouldn't have yeah, served you. Exactly, because they'd see yeah. that you were a child and they'd say, can I have your ID, please? So it wasn't it even is, a it's, it's yeah. sloppy journalism. It is, is, no, because the onus is on the merchant. Yeah, exactly. So. Not, not the payment instrument being used exactly. to determine the age of exactly. the person using it. Although the other one that I really love, and I don't think you were involved in that at all, was when someone said that I was walking down the road and a bus drove past me and it took a contactless payment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is and so funny. I thought, I thought that was amazing. And actually, I thought technology was so advanced that you could do proximity payments from like 10 metres away. <laughs> I think it's one centimetre, pretty much. It would be difficult for the, the reader on the bus to take that reading so quickly as you were walking past. But What about all the ones that they do about breakage and stuff like that? Because they, they used to, around Christmas, they have all the anti-gift card ones, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Not really seen anything particularly crazy. I mean, it's a long time ago. They don't really seem to... They've to, given up on that to, one. ...to grumble about that much. Actually, one of the, the frequent ones is where... Providers have charged dormancy fees, so the, the the Sunday Times were slightly concerned about a reader who had a, a a travel money card and and didn't use it because he was he was too poorly to go on holiday. So the the Sunday Times wrote that you know the the industry has a duty to warn customers when they're about to be charged dormancy fees. I I I've seen recently that there's some stuff coming through from the schemes where the schemes are trying to help out we had some discussions recently mm. didn't we Suresh where they're going to 
uh, avoid things like recurring payments. If you've got, if you sign up for a subscription, they'll 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 send a warning out to you to say, by the way, yeah. your free subscription has come to an end. Do you really want these payments to go on your card? Yeah. And I think things like that are good for the industry. I Absolutely. Think that gives us and, yeah. some benefits. Yeah, and you know, it's people don't read terms and conditions. You know, it's 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 very um they're very long. So any um any moves to, to try and make it much easier for, for, for customers to to spot potential charges, we as a body would certainly welcome. So as as much as, you know, journalists get it wrong, I know one of the areas that you've been involved with is 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 it easier to correct journalists or politicians? Because, you know, I, I would love to hear what your views are of, of kind of how government perceive prepaid to be. Well, it's like this whole thing on the, the terrorist funding where the government yeah. come in and say, oh, all prepaid cards that are anonymous are used for terrorist funding. It's, it's that whole perception that government... Yeah, it is. It? I, I think, you know, gen, gen, uh, tabloid journalists have their own agenda. So, you know, you, you have to fight each one as, as they come along. Whereas when you're talking to, to, to government, to regulators, it's a much longer term um, process on, on generally the same topic. And it depends who you're talking to. You know, certainly in the UK, the, the regulators listen to you. We're, we're very fortunate in, in that respect. But we have had some challenges in, in Europe where it's been quite difficult to, to, to sort of persuade legislators and policy influencers that their, their, their opinions are, are misinformed, shall we say. And have PIF been involved in any lobbying for things We We have. I think most recently, earlier this year, we went over to Brussels to the European Parliament this was on the back of a public hearing that was held by the European Commission's Special Committee on Terrorist Financing. And one of the experts stood up in, in this public hearing and said, if you look at every police file in the entire world, a prepaid card has been used somewhere to, to orchestrate terrorism. So well, it was bold statement, but but equally, and the the key to the statement was he said in the same breath, despite the amendments to the fourth money laundering directive, which hadn't even come into force at that point. So it was a very premature assessment. But even more worrying, we said to the, the the chairperson of this commission at the European Parliament, you know, what what do you think? Not in so many words, but what do you think terrorists are doing with two hundred and fifty euros on on a on a prepay card? And she said, "Well, they're making phone calls." <laughs> so they were classifying like a top up card. Yes. So they were confusing prepaid SIM card with prepaid with e money money card. Wow. The funniest thing is if they. The reason that they have this data is because it is electronic money and it's leaving yeah. a footprint. Now, if you got rid of that and it was all being done by cash, they would actually have no information whatsoever. I, exactly. And, and uh, you know, we would yeah. say that cash is actually the biggest risk when it comes to yeah. terrorist funding because at least with electronic money, there's a footprint. And, and I think that's the bit that they don't understand. It's almost like yeah. they're aware of where it was spent because it was electronic money. Yeah. Absolutely, and and that's the the argument that we use all the time is that if you if you remove these products, it will drive criminals to cash, which is completely untraceable. So, I obviously I, I was on the PIF board, and one of the topics that we were talking about at the time 
was where there was going to be potentially this regulation where when you're crossing you know boundaries into another country they had this belief that they would be able to validate how much money you've got carrying on a prepaid card and you know i don't know if you can comment on that but it was like absolutely crazy there was no you know even from a technology perspective it mm. didn't exist and probably even doing those checks would probably go against gdpr but you know what what yeah. is what has been the outcome of that yeah well this this is another another example where rules and regulations are so broad based that they ignore the true nature of all types of, of product. So this is the, the, the cash controls regulation, which proposed to include certain types of prepaid cards. Now that would have included things like corporate cards, high value uh, banking light, you know, equivalent products. So the implications would have been would have been quite serious. You know, notwithstanding, you know, they had no real way to check the value on the card, <clears throat> unless they had highly trained sniffer dogs, um, but you <laughs> know it wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> chips and actually yeah. then go back to find out what the actual balance is on the account behind exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. So we lobbied very hard um, to 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 affect some change to this regulation, um, and I, I believe in the final draft they have proposed to include only anonymous cards, so that means that it wouldn't capture the the high value products but you could have cards that are fully kyc that don't have your name on it how would they know if it's Mm. anonymous or not exactly exactly yeah i mean it's another example of not really understanding the nature of the products the business models and importantly what they're used for and how they benefit you know not just from a, a corporate perspective or a a challenger bank equivalent perspective but they have really important social benefits for for huge numbers of people i'm going to dive back into the bin of confusion here let me uh snuggle down uh sorry dan didn't mean to touch down. you there yeah. um, what will psd2 and strong factor authentication change for the prepaid industry well, that's, that's a big, big question. I think that's a you big alluded to it earlier. Question. Yes, well, um, I think, you know, generally open banking, SCA are generally very positive for the sector in the longer term. Advancing the, the safety and security of prepaid can only be a good thing, and, and, and we would welcome that. But from an implementation perspective, I think we'll, we'll see some operators have a really tough time figuring out the practical implications of, of SCA, for example, and, and what it really means in practice. Open banking, I think, you know, it, it's, it may not work for every business model, but, you know, prepaid is at the forefront of innovation. So I think that, you know, we will see some some pockets of, of opportunity for sure. What, what about the costs? Because typically some of the prepaid companies out there are startups. They don't have a lot of money yeah. to do with this. They've suddenly got to implement the recommendations from PSD2, things like uh, allowing TPPs to have access yeah. to their systems. Is this going to force some of them out of business? They just can't yeah. keep up with the cost? Absolutely. I think a lot of you know operators, some of the smaller companies, are now having to, to think seriously, do we either A, increase the cost of running our program, or do we close the programs altogether? So that's a, a, a tough choice and, and of course many organizations can't afford to increase the cost of running their program and um, a, a margins be, being continually squeezed i mean we've yep. seen the push on interchange yep. dropping down exactly 
Yeah. And again, it's another example of how, you know, the, the rules haven't really sort of taken into account the true nature of prepaid. You know, the, the, the bin sponsor program manager, manager model is extremely unique. You know, we would like to have seen some more exemptions for the prepaid sector. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very, very tough for, for a lot of, certainly a lot of program managers, which is why we're looking at ways to support those organisations with more of the kind of the, the how-to, you know, what this actually means means for your business. And tell, tell me, the, the mix of, of types of members, what, how would you describe the sort of mix? How many are e-money issuers? How many are yeah. PIs? How many are service providers in that, in that group, would you say now? The, the, the majority of our members, so mm. we, we represent organisations who are regulated under e-money and payment services legislation. The majority of our members are those entities and other members include uh, service providers, so processor schemes, others as well. And of course, the, the brilliant brains of the law firms. I know. Couldn't do without a law firm. So, oh, so long since I was there. <laughs> the year. So Suresh, any So I've any got, I've got, um, got this question and actually I'm going to expand on it. It's, it's basically it says, what are the misconceptions about prepaid? And I know we spoke about that from a government perspective, but from an end customer's perspective. And, and the reason I was going to expand on that was you may remember that, you know, when I was on the board, one of the things that I was kind of championing was almost kind of parking the term prepaid. So I'd love to get your views mm. on, on kind of what are the misconceptions of prepaid from an end customer perspective. And we also know that a lot of people that are using uh, prepaid as a product are tending to distance themselves from mm. the term, maybe from yeah. an end customer perspective rather than anything else. But yeah. I'd love to get your views on that. Well, I, th- I, I don't think the end customer really cares if it's prepaid or not, to be honest. You know, at, at the end of the day, issuers are not selling consumers a prepaid card they're selling them a solution they're selling them a brand so i think you know the, the misconceptions lie more with the regulators policy makers media sometimes the consumer I, I don't think they have any so do you, you don't think there's a reason why a lot of these fintechs are almost not using the term prepaid and i mean it's a prepaid product definitely but they're using it you know they're yeah. trying to go for a debit bin or they, they're trying to you know, not use the term prepaid. I think they're not using the term term prepaid because they're they're selling a brand, they're selling a concept from a branding perspective. That's really important. You know, we we as a as a body, our role is to make sure that organisations can keep on utilising the prepaid model. It makes no difference to us whether they, you know, call themselves prepaid or debit or whatever else. The fact is that they're using a, a prepaid model. So you you kind of generally safeguard, let's say, the prepaid sector. Yes. And and do you actively go out and protect your members, or could it be that someone that's not your member could do some major damage to the industry, and then you know is that your responsibility? Is not your responsibility? How does that all work? It's it's all interconnected. You know, we we support our our members where there are common interests. One member may have a particular challenge that actually it turns out will be challenging for other members so we work where there is that common interest and if you know somebody who's not a member does something that could potentially bring the industry into disrepute we will work together you know with our members to figure out a way forward i guess it probably puts you in quite a difficult position because you may have a non-member doing something that reflects bad on the whole industry mm. 
but you don't really want to have a pop at them. You almost no. need to, you know, I think it's very difficult without pointing fingers to protect yeah. one against the other. Exactly. So that's where our sort of, you know, our, our sort of our guidance will come in. Um, so we regularly review, you know, our customer charter, our code of conduct, and, and make sure that that is not shared just among, you know, our, our members in our community, but that it goes out to a much wider audience. So if there was one one kind of message that you would love to get out there in terms of why somebody should join, you know, join PIF, you know, because Robert's done what he's normally done, used loads of acronyms, made it really complicated. Hmm. So wh- why would somebody want to join your organisation and what value would they really bring? I think one of the, the key reasons that people join is that by by working together, by collaborating on some of these common issues, whether that's challenge or with an opportunity, we have a much stronger voice than, than doing it on our own. And I think that is the key benefit that people take away. The fact that we can help them, on the one hand, contextualize mountains and mountains of regulation into their business. We help raise their profile from a, a marketing perspective because of all the PR work we do to demonstrate you know, the various use cases. So it's, it's really a, a platform, a platform to, to understand the dynamics of the market, but it's also a means with which they can affect change. And what's the smallest member you've got in terms of number of employees and the largest? I, I think the, probably the smallest would probably be about four people. Uh, largest hundreds of thousands. thousands. Wow, so, so it's a broad. big mix. It's a broad church. You, you very you, very you, broad you, church. You have very broad church. And I mean, since since I was uh, last hanging around with you guys, you, you used to have like a few streams. You had your 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 sort of media PR stream, and you had your legal. Is is that still how it's run, or do you ab- have any ab- other streams? Absolutely. That, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yeah. each of them and what they're doing at the moment. So our two main work streams are our legal and regulatory working group and the other work stream is our public affairs committee. And within both of those groups, we are able to create subgroups. So if there's a particular issue where we need to bring together a task force, so a Brexit task force, so an SCA open banking task force, or it could be, you know, dealing with negative press, for example. So for example, if the media suddenly put out a a horrific story about prepaid we will form a task group to just look at that particular issue so i think what we need to do we're not going to get anything controversial because she's drinking a cappuccino it's not it's not your normal <laughs> yeah, gin right exactly so i think we should diane you need to give us some information that's that's an exclusive we need to hear something that we're going to announce here something that you, you heard it first you heard on it fintech first. unplugged yeah. ah we have some more board elections coming up in end of February. So new members to join the board. Yep. So we have... How many people are stepping so down? So four seats will be coming up for re-election. So who, who, who is leaving the board? Give us the, give us the headline. Who, who, who is leaving, stepping they're down? They're up for re-election. So they're they're up for re-election. Who is up for re-election? I'm not going to tell you that. You have are to... you up for re-election? No, I'm, I'm, my, my role you're is... You're outside all yes, of that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so all will be revealed. We'll do it. Um, Diane, so you're enjoying the vodka. Um, That's tasty. Yeah, yeah. Well, good job. We're in a bar now. We moved on from the uh, cappuccino. Can you one bar. day take Robert to a library just so he can experience how normal people live? I don't I, think I Diane's will. ever seen a library. I have. 
I think in the last year. No. No. See. And by the way, did you enjoy being part of the uh, the fintech pantomime, fintech unplugged panto? I did you had, get any feedback? I had lots of really lovely feedback. Everyone was very kind. That could mean anything. I know. She but it was understand. great fun. It was great fun. Any any favourites on that? I, I have to say, I, I was t- I was blown away by the uh, the incredibly effeminate Mr. Parker as Father Christmas. <laughs> I didn't even know that was David Parker. I know, I know. It was. Uh, He's it was, good, isn't he? We we we, we enjoyed that one, and uh, and the particularly grumpy bus driver from Vendercom. <laughs> and, and to be fair, that even the bloopers, they are so. They are so borderline, actually borderline, they're so out there that yeah. We, yeah. we could never We couldn't release actually them. release the bloopers for that one. Even Robert said we can't do that, which means it's serious. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway. So, um, what does last calls mean, Suresh? Have you never heard of the term before? Have you always been at a bar that's open 24 hours? It means no alcohol. No more alcohol? Well, why are we staying here then? We better call this a wrap and... Uh, and Diane, thank you very, very much for coming along. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Suresh. I had and, a great time. And in terms of if somebody wants to become a member of PIP, want to know more about it, what do they do? They just go to our website at uh, prepaidforum.org. Fantastic. Let's, uh, let's hit the next bar. All right, brilliant. Thank you. FinTech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast and TuneIn. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five-star rating. This is Diane Brocklebank saying goodnight.